0: Hello, thank you for joining me on Humanities Radio. I'm Janet Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities, and this month, in honor of Women's History Month, I'm talking to two women professors who are doing incredible work. First up was Sarah Yeo, Associate Professor of Communication, and today I'm talking to Kim Kapingst, Professor of Communication. Professor Kapingst is a health communication researcher and the Director of Cancer Communication Research at the Huntsman Cancer Institute. She is currently conducting a study comparing two models of delivering cancer genetic services to primary care patients. Um, before, Before we discuss your current study, talk a little bit about your research and what led you to health communication
1: yeah so most of my work is in communication of uh, cancer information and cancer genetic information specifically and i had a little bit of an unusual path i actually have a degree in molecular and cellular biology um, but then realized that i did not want to focus in bench science but i loved science and i loved genetics And uh, this allows me to combine all of my different interests in how we communicate about cancer genetic information.
0: You're currently conducting a study funded by the Cancer Moonshot Initiative comparing two models of delivering cancer genetic services to primary care patients. Tell me a little bit about this study. Yeah, so this is a really interesting
1: study that is allowing us to do two things. Uh, So working within two large healthcare systems to identify primary care patients who are eligible for genetic evaluation but have never received cancer genetic services. And then comparing a standard of care model, uh, which is based on the normal model of genetic counseling, to a more automated approach where uh, we can reach more people outside of normal business hours um, and have some of the education done automatically rather than by a person um, and see which patients prefer as well as what the outcomes are with those two different approaches.
0: So before we kind of get into those the... the- Those different models, just a little bit of uh, background information. So what are the barriers of providing genetic testing to those with a family history but are unaffected?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. There are a couple. So one is the, the usual model that has been used up until now, um, is that a member of the family who has had cancer themselves, so has been affected by cancer, is the first person in the family tested and then others who are unaffected and have not had cancer themselves are tested after that, uh, which works great if there is a, a living member of the family who is available for testing but doesn't work as well uh, if there is not a living member of the family who has had cancer or if families just live far apart, which happens. Um, and so what we're doing is, is trying to expand to people who have not had cancer themselves, but have a family history that suggests they might have a genetic risk.
0: And so for the purposes of the study, how are you identifying those people?
1: Yeah, so we are using um, what's called a clinical decision support algorithm, which is uh, a computer algorithm that searches the family history information that people already have in their electronic health records. So we're not actually even collecting new information. Um, We're just looking at uh, family history information that people have already given their doctor and is in their electronic health record. Uh, And the algorithm searches for people who, based on family history, Uh, meet criteria for a cancer genetic evaluation. So that might be someone who had a a family member, a mom or a sister who had ovarian cancer, um, and then would be eligible for testing themselves. Okay.
0: And you're looking at two separate healthcare systems. And so tell me a little bit about, so first, tell me which healthcare systems those are, and why you've chosen those two.
1: Yeah, so we have two pretty different healthcare systems. So we have here the U Health System, the University of Utah's healthcare system. Um, and we partnered with the NYU Langan healthcare system in New York. Uh, and that partnership was for a couple of reasons. One, the, the systems are pretty different in structure, the degree of centralization. Uh, but they have a common uh, electronic health care, uh, health record system, so the EPIC system. So it allowed us to use a similar algorithm for both sites, uh, but with a really different healthcare system structure and patient population. Uh, so it kind of combined the best of both worlds, you know, a common system, but really different characteristics.
0: So now let's talk about the methods. So what are the two methods? So give us more information. You kind of touched on it earlier. But give us some specific details about the two methods you're using to compare delivering these genetic services or as you deliver these genetic services. Sure,
1: yeah. So our control arm or the standard of care arm uh, is based on how we deliver cancer genetic counseling now. So that is usually a two-appointment structure where someone would come in for what's called a pre-test appointment, uh, discuss their family history with a certified genetic counselor, um, and make uh, learn more about genetic testing and what they could get out of testing, and then make a decision about testing normally at that appointment. And then there's a second appointment where results are returned. Um, and again, that's by a genetic counselor, Um, and that is a great model, except uh, there are not enough genetic counselors uh, to maintain that kind of model as we expand to different patients. So we are comparing it to um, an automated conversational agent or a chat bot, um, an offering information for the pretest appointment primarily. So going through some of the standard information about genetic testing and what information people could get out of genetic testing, to see if we could replace some of those more standard educational components with a a computer that is that can converse with um, to some extent converse uh, with patients. Um, and then I should say the results, so if someone, if we have a genetic finding, so if there's a positive, a positive result or an uncertain result, um, even in the chat arm, those are still delivered by a genetic counselor, but a lot of the automated education or the education is automated.
0: Okay. So what sort of outcome are you looking for after these services have been delivered? We have a few outcomes. So, one of the primary outcomes
1: for the study is just do people have genetic services. So, what are the what is the uptake of genetic uh, services in these two arms? And we're looking at that in a couple different ways. So, first is did people do the pretest, either the pretest education with the chatbot uh, or a pretest appointment, just to see if they even um, did the pretest part. And then we're looking at whether or not they decided to test um, because not everyone who gets pretest counseling decides to test. Um, and so we're looking for differences in both of those. And then after uh, they get results back, we're looking to see if there are changes in the cancer screenings that people receive and if those are different with the two approaches as well.
0: Okay. And so, and how long have you been uh, doing this study or working on this study?
1: So, we are in our fourth year. It is funded for five years and we're um, uh, just about midway through the fourth year. Uh, the We were funded, of course, during the COVID pandemic, <laughs> but um, it, despite that, uh, the study has gone really well and we're almost back on timeline even okay. with the delays with COVID.
0: <laughs> well, uh, congratulations on that part. <laughs> yeah, yes, it, it was a
1: monumental team effort, <laughs> yeah. I
0: will say. So what have you found so far or what part of what you have found so far um, do you want to talk about or can you Uh, talk about, I should say?
1: Yeah, we haven't looked at kind of the main trial outcomes, but I think one of the things that was really surprising to me was just how many patients there are in these two healthcare systems that are eligible for cancer genetic evaluation without even collecting additional family history information. Uh, so we have found just under about 6,000 patients in the U Health system um, who are at least eligible for consideration for genetic counseling uh, and in about 16,000 at NYU. So a huge cohort of about 20,000 patients uh, and so I think it it has shown us there's a real need for a a way to reach those patients and deliver services.
0: And one thing when I was reading about your study that I found interesting was it also looks at how closely, or at how race, ethnicity, and geographic location affect genetic services. How is that? Talk talk a little bit about that side.
1: Yeah, that was really important to us because one of the things the prior literature has shown us is that um, individuals from minority racial and ethnic groups Uh, And people who live in rural or frontier areas are right now less likely to have genetic services. Uh, They may not have access or they may choose not to use those services even if they have access. And so we wanted to test the two different models, our standard of care model and our chatbot model, to see if the models operate uh, the same or differently across these different groups. Uh, so we've addressed this in a few ways. We, we translated our chatbot into um, Spanish language, for instance, so that patients who speak other languages would, could take advantage of it. Um, but in the analysis, we'll be looking to see if uh, our outcomes are different by race, ethnicity, and then where people live geographically. Mm-hmm.
0: And so is there anything else about this study that I'm missing or that you would um, like people to know? I think that, you know,
1: the main thing about this study is it's it's a large team of people at the two institutions, and I think it's been a really... A unique opportunity for me as a communication professor to work with people from the Department of Biomedical Informatics, from our fantastic cancer genetics group, our genetic counselors. So it's been really fun to work on this large interdisciplinary team and bring communication expertise um, and and work with people who have so many other areas of expertise.
0: Before we close, um, are you currently teaching courses? And if so, what are they? Yeah, so right
1: this semester, I'm teaching COM 5117, which is a, a class on how you design health communication campaigns. Um, and I also, not this semester, but most semesters, teach COM 5118, which is health literacy So um, I have been able to teach a lot of really fun health communication classes, um, which I enjoy very much.
0: And probably right now with communicating COVID, that's probably um, some interesting conversations that happen in your classes.
1: Yes, it's been very interesting. I teach um, COM 3115, which is communicating science, health, and environment. And as you can imagine, a lot of those conversations are about covid what's gone well and what hasn't gone so well in communication about covid
0: yeah what an interesting time for health communication i mean it probably always is but especially now yeah if anything i think it has highlighted how important it is right, absolutely as really well
1: <laughs> yep yep absolutely
0: that was kim kepingst professor of communication for more information about the university of utah college of humanities please visit humanities.utah.edu and don't forget to subscribe to Humanities Radio.